0: Today we continue our series in Matthew chapter 6 entitled, Teach Us to Pray. We join with uh, the earliest of disciples in asking the Lord Jesus to teach us to pray. And so uh, last week we spent time in the first half of this prayer that probably most of us could, could say from memory Um, We talked about how uh, the prayer, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That half of the prayer is us saying, Lord, teach us to pray for your glory. Teach us, Lord, to pray for your kingdom to come, for your name to be glorified as it is in heaven. So may it be. And so we learned and talked about how that is praying for the glory of God. How do Lord teach us to pray for your glory? And today we look at the the back half of this prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples. And we would say this is um, Lord teach us to pray for our good. It's important that we get that sequence right. I feel like uh, there's an acronym that many of us use in prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of this acronym ACTS. Would you raise your hand To pray adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Have you you heard of that? Let me see the hands again. Okay, a pretty good number of us across the room. So that order is pretty significant. Adoration, we praise you, God. Confession, we confess our sin to you, Lord. We're T, thankful for all the ways that you've blessed us. And then S, we we now come to you with our needs and our wants, our desires, Lord, for you to meet these needs. That order is really important. Acts is a, is a pretty good sequence. Probably most of us pray uh, instead of acts, we probably pray more um, scat, uh, supplication, confession, maybe sprinkle in some adoration and then Thanksgiving on the back end. And that's OK. It's just not the prayer model that Jesus gives to us. And so now we get to the last part of the prayer that Jesus wants to teach us, which is to ask for our good, for the things that we need. And so we come to this part of the prayer. Just for the sake of it, would you, um, would you stand with me? Uh, we, I know I've had you up and down, up and down all throughout the service, but I, I just want us to read um, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And this is a prayer that you know probably from memory, but I'd love for us to read it aloud together. So we'll put it on the screen together. Would you read with me? Uh, Jesus said, Pray then like this, And if you know the old King James Version, it ends with, For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we ask that You teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. So I want to follow the same pattern we looked at last week, just walking through a phrase of this prayer at a time. We're just going to spend spend a few moments on each line and we'll pick up with, again, the last half. So Jesus says, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread. And so what we would pick up from this particular part of the prayer is he's teaching us that we are to go to God for help, for help. So practical needs. When we talk about bread, he's not just talking about a loaf of, uh, of, of lily white bread or whatever it is you buy. He's not just talking about a loaf of bread here. He's talking about your basic needs. We go to God for help. Notice that the Bible, Jesus doesn't say, sell me this day, my daily bread. You notice he doesn't say, uh, make it available and I'll steal my daily bread. He actually says, give us this day. That's the way we're to pray is to give us. That means we trust him to provide. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider He is good and gracious. And when we pray, God, we come to you with our needs. Will you help us? What we're saying, we're posturing ourselves to receive and we're positioning him to give. It's a giver and a receiver. It's a humbling thing. Lord, give me today my daily bread. He teaches us to pray. Give us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. God wants us to depend on Him. God wants us to depend on Him every day. You know, this this prayer is is, um, unmistakably from the book of Exodus, back when the Lord provided manna to His people uh, in, the, in the days that they were in the wilderness after the Red Sea was parted and they uh, had the exodus from Egypt. And then uh, in the book of Exodus, we see that the Lord provided for them every day. And He only gave them enough for the one day. And the whole point of that was that they would depend on God. It was, it was giving in a way that, that left them needing and, and left them to where they had to trust in God. You can look at Exodus 16 then the Lord said to Moses behold I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people will go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not we You could read on and you discover that uh, the people weren't real good at this. A lot of them tried to gather more. You know, we want to store it up. We want to get more than we need for today. We'll, We'll store it up. That way we'll know for sure that we're going to have enough bread for tomorrow. And if you read the Bible, it says that when they woke up the next day, the bread that they had stored, it stunk and it had worms. God wouldn't let it last. He said, I want to provide for you. Every day, I don't want to just be your provider today. I want to be your provider again tomorrow. And the whole point of my provision is that you trust me. God wants us to be a dependent people. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's not as much about his provision as it is our posture. Lord, I want to be needy. I need you. This is rough for us because we don't like to be postured as needy people. We want to be our own providers. And the Lord says, I want you to depend on me. I want you to hear this verse, Hebrews eleven six. It says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. So listen, if you don't depend on God, whatever you do, It's impossible to please Him. This idea of, Lord, give us today our daily bread, that idea is to posture us to be dependent on Him so that we can please Him. Now, what happens if when you pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, what happens if God gives Jeff two loaves of bread and gives me none? What's supposed to happen there? Well, I just want us to take note of the pronouns in this prayer. When Look, look at the prayer uh, in, your, in your copy of God's Word. And I want you to notice that there's not an, a first person singular pronoun. It does not say, give me today my daily bread. It does not say, forgive me today, my sin. It does not say, lead me today, deliver me today. Notice all of the pronouns that Jesus teaches us to pray are all plural. He says, give us this day. And so if God gives you none and gives your brother two, the gift to your brother is meant to be through him to you. Generosity, that's what, what I'm pointing at here the Lord intends for us to be a a giving people just as he is giving to us we're to be giving to others God's provision can be through God's people how many of you know that God's provision can be through God's people has anybody ever been in a situation where you were in need and a brother or sister in Christ came through for you anybody okay good me too And the generosity of people of the sons and daughters of God is a picture of the generosity and goodness and graciousness of our God. We aren't meant to be a people who store up our blessings for our own good, but rather a people who pour out our blessings for the kingdom. You remember the story of the man who said, oh, wow, what? I've got a lot of grain here. Well, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns to store more of my stuff. We do that, don't we? And then Jesus talked about this man and said he's a fool. Little does he know that today his life will be taken from him. And what will he do then with all the things that he's stored up? So I want to speak to us today that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, that we not only think about our own needs, but the needs of those Right around us. When we say daily bread, we're talking about basic needs. Bread. Notice he says bread, not uh, dessert. Not um, that little shiny Corvette or not the whatever. He's, he's talking about basic needs. Give us this day our daily bread. So we, we go to God for help. Let's look at the next line. It says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. This part of the prayer, we look to God for hope. Um, We look to God for hope. Last week, I shared with you guys about three men in our jail who had trusted in Christ. And I shared with you that they had some pretty difficult struggles. And um, I'm thankful to the Lord for Richard, for Ann, for their ministry at the jail. And this week I went back on Friday and sat in Richard's office and he says, well, I guess you're going to want to go back and see those guys. I said, yes, sir, I would like to do that, And um, so I sat down with those three men and we had a few more gather around and I said, men, you know, one of the basic things you're going to need as a new believer is you need to know how to talk to your God. You are a child of God. Now you have a father and you need to know how to pray. And so each of them had a copy of God's Word. One, one man can't, can't read. And so I said, hey, we're going to memorize it together. You're, you're going to learn this prayer. And then you use it as a pattern for the way to pray. And we just walked through the Lord's Prayer together. And we got to this part about forgive us our debts. And those three men actually helped write this part of the sermon. Because they asked me three questions that I feel like we all need to ask. These are three questions from uh, our brothers in jail that you need to ask and I need to ask. And this is what they said. Well, well who, who needs forgiveness? Who needs to be forgiven? The Bible says all of us. Every human on the planet needs the forgiveness of an almighty God. God. Every person has fallen into sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human needs to be forgiven. So this is a prayer that we all should be praying. Jesus taught us to pray to God. Please forgive us our debts. The next question they asked me in the jail this week was, well, who can forgive sins? So said, well, Jesus taught us to pray to God, to ask God to forgive our sins. And it reminded me, I told them the story from Mark chapter 2. It's also in Matthew 9 if you wanted to look at it. But I told them the story of the, the man who was paralyzed and uh, his friends drug him on a mat because he couldn't walk. And they, they carried him on, on this mat and they got to the crowd where Jesus was teaching. And he was teaching in a house and there were so many people that they couldn't get to him. So the friends of this paralyzed man, they climbed up on the roof and they pulled a hole in the roof and they lowered him down on his mat right in front of Jesus. Jesus, given an opportunity to heal, a paralyzed man says something that's shocking to the crowd and especially to the religious people around him. He looks at a paralyzed man. Everybody expects him to do what? To fix his physical problem. But Jesus sees deeper... He knows what the real problem is. And he says, man, your sins are forgiven. Something amazing happened that day. Because the religious people around started to murmur. And they started, "What? Do I, who does he think he is? He's blaspheming against God. Who, who, only, and this is what they said. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus was making a point because those men had the right theology, but they had a misdirected worship. They didn't realize that this man in front of them was God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, come in the flesh, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life and came so that he would forgive your sin. Franklin looked across that metal table at me and he said, But who can forgive our sin? And I said, Only God, in the person of Jesus Christ, can forgive your sin? That day uh, with the paralyzed man on the floor in front of him, and, and everyone shocked that Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, Well, which is which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or for me to say, rise and walk. Of course, it's easier for him to say your sins are forgiven because what's the proof that it's been done? But Jesus said, just so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, rise and walk. And the man who had been paralyzed stood up, took up his bed, and walked home. And in that miracle, Jesus is making a statement. Here's what He's saying to you and to me. He says this, I have the ability to forgive your sin. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, we look to God in the face of Christ for hope. Let me ask you, how hopeless would life be if you couldn't be forgiven?
1: How hopeless would life
0: be If there were no pardon for your sin. Third question. They asked me. um, One of the men. Has a pretty serious addiction issue. And he just looked at me again. uh, Tears coming down his face. He says. How can I be forgiven? I love that question because it's. Gut level honest. And if you don't ask that question, you're not honest with yourself. You don't really know how dark you are. You don't really know how deeply you need to be forgiven. This man looks at me and says, how can I be forgiven? And I said, there's only one way. You know, forgiveness isn't free. It only comes to you through the death of the Son of God. Your forgiveness was costly. Jesus died in your place. Forgiveness only comes to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the only way any of us are forgiven. We don't deserve it. It's God's grace alone to us. We don't look anywhere else. It's through faith alone in him. And we look specifically to Jesus Christ alone. That's how our debts are forgiven. It's not that they're pardoned. It's that they're paid for. Our idea of pardon today is when a president says, well, I'm going to pardon so and so. And there's no consequence. There's never any payment made for that sin. The Bible teaches that our sins are not pardoned quite like that. We may experience it as a pardon. The Bible does use that word and that's the way it feels to us because we don't pay. But I'm telling you, it's not a pardon in the way that we see it in our culture. It's not a pardon, it's a payment. It's just you don't have to pay it. It's been paid in full by Jesus Christ. This is the only part of this prayer that Jesus decided to expound upon. Have you noticed that? He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he finishes the prayer and then he gives us two more verses at the bottom explaining this idea of forgiveness. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a scary teaching from Jesus. It's scary But even in the prayer that he's teaching us to pray, let's pay attention. He says, I want you to pray like this. Forgive me my debt. Forgive us our debts just as I forgive those who have sinned against me. So I want you just for a moment to think about the person who um, has wounded you the most. The person who's really hurt you. The person who, maybe they've said something, maybe they've stolen something, maybe they've physically hurt you or someone you love. But the person who you feel most wounded by, who has sinned against you in a way that you just struggle to forgive. And I want you to hear the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is, Lord, forgive me just as I am forgiving you. This is a dangerous way to pray, but here's what it's doing in us. In us, it's making us forgiving people. It's it's sort of posturing us again to be forgiving people. And the point here that Jesus is making is that forgiven people are forgiving people. Grace received should equal grace given. You don't deserve forgiveness. I know that's the way we rationalize it in our mind. How can I? How can I forgive them? But look at what they've done. How can I? How? Can, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Let me ask us, all of us. Does is there a person in the room that deserves God's forgiveness? Grace received, grace given. Forgiven people are meant to be forgiving people. I'm reminded in Matthew 18 of the unforgiving servant. The story, a man has a debt that he it's enormous. He couldn't pay it. He stands before the master and the master says, you, you got to go, man. You got to go to prison. You have a huge debt. And he pleads, master, please, please. I'll pay it. Whatever it takes. However long it takes, I'll pay it. And the master forgives his debt. It's shocking because it's an, it's an enormous amount of money. Well, the man rises up off his knees. He's been forgiven. He runs out and immediately down the street finds a man who owes him $10. He takes that man by the throat, holds him up. You pay me what you owe, or I'll have you thrown in jail. Word gets back to the master, and the master says, You summon that unforgiving servant. He brings him back in front of him and he says, I forgave you your debt and you held another one accountable away with you. It's a scary reality, but the Lord Jesus says, if you are a forgiven person, if you've received my grace of forgiveness, I'm calling you to be a forgiving person. Many people struggle here because we just can't seem to get past our past, right? There's hope for us. There's hope in Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something as we move to the next line. I want you to notice how this prayer works on us in our present needs. Lord, give us today our daily bread. That's what I need right now. It works on us in our past struggles. God, forgive me. Forgive me of what I've done And now, as we look to the next line, we see that this prayer works on us for our future danger. It's our future danger that the Lord is teaching us to pray. Lord, please lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so here we trust our God with our holiness. We trust our God with our holiness. So we go go to God for help. We look to Christ for hope and we trust our God with our holiness. We're reminded of two realities here. Lord, lead us not into temptation. We're reminded of our weakness, that we're vulnerable, that we struggle, that there are places that we really should not go. There are people we really don't need to hang around Um, there. There are places of temptation, and we're asking God, it's a kind of a two way prayer here Lord, please don't lead me into those places. And when we pray that way, we're saying, God, help me to follow your lead. We're reminded of our temptation, and then we're reminded that we have a very real enemy. I want to talk to you for just a second about three kinds of evil in the world. I think these are important. There are three kinds of evil. First one is your flesh. Your flesh. So, this is your closest enemy, most intimate enemy, knows you best because it's who you were. Um, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he gives a long list of adulterers and slanderers and um, the sexually immoral and da 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 da. And then he says this, and I love this phrase And such were some of you. I love that. it's so full of hope. It's not who you are anymore. That's not your identity. But he reminds you it is still your flesh. It's still your struggle. It's still in you. You better stay away from those temptations because your flesh knows your weaknesses. Your old self is going to fight for control and your your tendencies are the target. Whatever your tendency is, if it's lust, you better stay away from certain places on your phone or If it's greed, you you might want to avoid whatever it may be. Your flesh knows your tendencies, and that's the target. So how do we fight? You fight by starving the old man out. You starve him out. You feed your spirit with the truth of the word. You feed your spirit with the community of faith. You feed your spirit through prayer and intimacy with God. You feed your spirit through worship. What we just experienced. I love the song. There's a new one out it says, this is how I fight my battles. This is how we fight our battles by proclaiming Christ as king. And what that does is it says that old man he's not king of me. I have a new king, that old flesh, not king of me. I have a new king. Paul wrote in Romans seven. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Oh, thanks be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an evil you battle. It's your flesh. There's another one. Do you know there's an evil around us? The world is evil. This world was impacted when Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit. And every aspect of this world is like a, a downward flowing river pulling you away from God. Our culture is broken and it's constantly pulling you down. Listen, listen. You will not coast into intimacy with God. You will not coast into community with God. It will not happen. You can't throw it in neutral and expect to walk in the fullness of your faith. Put it in gear and hit the gas, go against the grain. Church, we need to know this. What we're doing is anti cultural. We shouldn't expect the world to applaud us for walking with Jesus. Don't expect it. Don't be shocked when they don't. When you stand for Christ and people don't love you, remember the words of Jesus. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So there's an evil, your flesh, there's the evil, the world. And then lastly, there is a very real enemy. His name is Satan. The devil. Uh, You know, we we watch movies about demonic forces. We we even play games sometimes with demonic forces. These are dangerous things because there's a very real enemy. His name is the devil. He's real. Jesus doesn't talk about pretend enemies. And in John 10, he says that you have an enemy who's seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. That's what he wants to do. The Lord Jesus talks about Satan as a lion prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. The name Satan itself is, is not translated into our language, it's the actual word, Hasatan. That's what it, that's what it is Hasatan. And here's what it means. The accuser. Jesus says he's the accuser of the brethren. I sat across that metal table with those men this week and I said, I want to ask you guys something. I was telling them about this. I said, who's your least favorite person in the courtroom? And they all said, the judge. (laughs) I laughed. I was like, well, the judge is not against you. He's just for what's right. If he or she is A good judge, they're just for what's right. But who's your least favorite person in the courtroom? And one guy said, well, I guess I do just blame the judge. But he's like, I mean, I guess it's that person on the other side of the thing just blabbing off all the things that the one. And I said, you mean the one who's accusing you? And he's like, yeah. Yeah. I talked to them. I told them. I said, you know, we have an enemy who plays a game. He comes to one side of your ear and he gets in there and he says, hey, this won't hurt you. You Just do this. Nobody will know. It's one time it won't bother you. Just go for it. It's no big deal. Just, just do it. And as soon as you give, he goes to the other side and goes, what have you done? Look at you. You're a terrible person. How could you ever? Why well, I can't. And he accuses you. He's your tempter, your deceiver, and your accuser. He wants to steal your joy, to kill your future, and to destroy you. That's our enemy. We have three evils that we battle, and we battle them in a lot of ways. But I want to just tell you this. As we pray for the glory of our God... And we trust him with our good. What we see is that Christ is our helper. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger again. He satisfies, He's the bread of life. He meets us in our needs. We look to Christ for help. Christ is our hope of forgiveness. Even from the cross, Jesus is praying to the Father, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He died. The Bible says the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So Christ is our hope for forgiveness. And lastly, this one's most important. For me in this moment, Christ. Is our holiness. I want you to get this. Because this is where you push back. This is the shield of faith. That thwarts the fiery darts of the enemy. You hold up your faith and you go. I know I'm not righteous. But you know what? I'm in Christ. And He is the righteous one. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5. That he who knew no sin. Became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ is your righteousness. It's not just that he offers you a pathway to be righteous. It's that he is your righteousness. Romans 3 says there is now therefore a righteousness apart from the law. Romans 321, there is righteousness apart from the law. Here's what the scripture is telling you. You can be righteous, and it doesn't depend on what you do. It depends on what he's done. That's the grace of our God. And we look to Christ, our helper. We look to Christ as our hope, and we trust in Christ for our holiness. Amen. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ today, there's no better time than now. I take that back. The best time would have been years ago. But there's no second best time than right now. Right now. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. Give your life to Jesus, trust him for your daily needs, trust him to give you a hope for a future with God through forgiveness, trust him for your righteousness before a holy God. He's the only way Jesus Christ is the only way.